Bye. Crosstown Conversations, and I'm Jean Nathan, your host, and with me I have three of, um, among the more interesting artists in the city of New Orleans and the U.S. of A., right? I have Robert Tannen over here. Look up. I have Nirhan Gakter, whose name I finally figured out how to pronounce, and John Barnes, who John is 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 uh, sometimes a Hi. junior and sometimes not. <laughs> All right, so um, this is going to be kind of an interesting show, and I want you to realize that uh, it's not going to be the easiest show you've ever heard here, because these artists are pretty serious dudes, and they they have a lot on their minds, and they express it through their work, and. Um, each of them is dealing with uh, some interesting and um, in some ways esoteric, maybe ephemeral subjects, and at the same time some uh, subjects that are very socially important. So um, I'm not sure who to start with. I guess I'm used to talking to my husband the most, so we'll start with him. And no, he, no, no. Of course, he doesn't want to be the first. It's too uh, no, bad. No, no, no. It's too I, bad. It's no, too no, bad. I want, I, I want Excuse it. me. You know who the host of this show is? <laughs> <laughs> I may only be a wife, but I happen to be oh, the host sure. of the show. So we're going to start with Bob Tannen, who those of you who get the newsletter from me have seen the stealth boat, the invisible boat lately. And this is a sailboat that he has um, prepared in a way to communicate a message about a kind of what's happening on Earth and um, what we see and what we don't see. And that's my introduction. And so now it's up to you to explain your work. Well, before I explain the work, which... I might not be able to do. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about, I won't call it philosophy, but just an idea that I've been thinking about for a long period of time. And that is through science and technology, we've come to know a very small fraction of the universe or multiverse or whatever is out there. Very small fraction. So the rest of it is invisible to us as we try to collect data and understand better what's out there. So we have this huge uh, place. We only occupy a small part of it. And that part of it is probably viewed by us as being visible and being uh, something that people and animals with eyes can understand and with other senses as well. Um, but if you assume that a large part of this place that we don't know that much, the majority of it is unknown to us, that's the invisible world. But now we occupy a place here which is divided between night and day, between black and light. And the light part is the visual world, and the black part 
is night and all we associate with night, all of the dark issues that we are concerned about or think about. Um, it has political, it has social, it has biological, it has psychological, it has racist, it has a number of other issues associated with darkness, night, blackness. And that part within our world, that part we don't understand, not the part that's out there that we don't understand, but within the world of night and day, we tend to think about uh, various aspects of our lives and what we do. So in some small way, I tried to capture or um, connect that understanding of night and day, the visual and the invisible and visible through the work I do. I had a show a couple of years ago where everything was brown. Uh, everything in the show was brown. Uh, and that includes whole um, canvases, literally all brown. So that that's that's a starter, and I'd like to hear the other gentleman. Just before we go to uh, the other gentleman, the most recent way you've been expressing this is through your um, boats. Why boats? Well, boats are the the land of the future. When when uh, when we think of Noah trying to save all life on this ark, when he realized that uh, he was an early scientist, he realized that this flood was going to be devastating, and the flood we are going to have in the future will be even more devastating. The planet, uh, as we know it where most of the urban and living animals and humans live are on land that will be submerged. Um, so boats will be an important part. Boats are the floating land. The idea of a boat is a f floating piece of land that can transport you through the, uh, the water systems of the world. And also through the uh, mystical systems and psychological systems of the world, not just the physical systems. The Egyptians, for example, were heavy into boats, and the boats took you into the next world. Right. Um, so Tavin is a, an industrial designer and an architect and an artist, and oddly, um, that basically is how I would also describe Nirhan, um, Gaktek, who's with us also and is an artist, he, he's, you're more of a painter at the moment, but I'm assuming that you work in more than one media. And because of your background, they both, by the way, went to Pratt, and they both studied architecture, and they're both planners and designers. Um, so it's uh, intriguing. I only learned this recently uh, when I um, uh, received some work that we've put up at the Myrtle Banks um, uh, location on our gallery on the third floor, the Cano Creative Space on the third floor. So, Nirhan, um, tell me about your work and how you've played with also this concept of visible and invisible. Um, I'm really fascinated by this word invisible. Um, I'm glad you brought it up, uh, Bob, because for me, uh, that kind of brings. Um, the invisible is uh, bringing what is not visible, right? So bringing what's not 
visible into the visible, right? So when we look at where we are today in terms of uh, social and cultural and the aesthetic practices, um, it's really uh, significant into bringing visibility into all these things that are otherwise unseen. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a you know I'm a designer. Um, I have a background. I have two degrees in architecture, one in urban planning. So how that directly applies to my practice is um, I love to draw, so I, I can I can paint. But um, given my education, um, I'm also well-versed in fabrication, um, uh, digital fabrication, um, making things, putting things together, small things, medium-sized things, um, finding things that are you know, either on the street, in stores, and uh, reimagining uh, what they might be. So um, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and kind of going through my my uh, my inventory of works over the last five years and he said uh, to me he goes uh, I describe your practice as right field because everything is kind of like different than the next thing one thing's a photograph one thing's a painting one thing's a model one thing's been appropriated one thing's a you know been found and 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 reimagined so they're kind of across the board so what does that mean so as a as a person who's been trained as an architect um, we kind of tend to um, as a discipline want to work among other disciplines whether it's uh, planners or scientists or biologists or uh, anthropologists or people in uh, uh, theory or writing or sociology and kind of bring these things together so Painting is always fascinating to me because paintings are physical objects, you know, to quote, that are made to be seen. But in some sense, they're limiting, right? Because they're, it's painting. And uh, the visual arts have so much um, more uh, capabilities in terms of expression, uh, especially spanning uh, the cult cultural and social fields. Um, I can certainly speak to uh, one particular project or two particular projects or uh, three projects that I finished recently. And I, and I also just want to make sure that you talk about the paintings that are in the Myrtle Banks because I'm fascinated with um, what you're trying to do there in terms of visualizing um, music, for example. That That's the one that really captured my attention and conversation um, uh, on the canvas. Right. So... The, the three pieces there um, are these studies that I did, um, and I'll just kind of backtrack about um, musical composition so and, and, and mapping sound. So uh, one of them is titled Disintegration Loops. I think it's an important title because it really speaks to the work, and it's about subtracting and mapping sound, right? So when... Musicians, and I'm not going to, I'm at the danger of kind of speaking very broadly. Um, when musicians tend to write out sheet music, they write it out, and then it's either can be played or open to interpretation. Disintegration loops is kind of working in the other way. It's kind of listening to sound and um, recording it um, by hand and then um, placing it onto uh, a large sheet of paper 
and allowing the emulsion, this, these kind of coated emulsion sheets to subtract, um, uh, a subtractive process where there's this kind of concept that the, the, the room is filled with an infinity, infinite amount of sound and the, the, the paper or the canvas kind of is a subtractive method of recording sound. Um, the other one, uh, reverberations, is a kind of a documentation of sound through the vibration of a string and allowing charcoal to um, map, again, another type of map, to um, map the vibration of charcoal onto the surface of the paper. So they're all kind of dealing with music in different ways um, through mapping, through composition, through interpretation, through subtraction, but mostly through a subtractive process of, of sounds that exist and kind of going in a, a reverse process. And uh, photography is always fascinating to me because, and I'm not a photographer, let me say that, um, because it's, it's the removal of, of something from a surface, right? So it's in, at least in wet process, not digital. So John um, Barnes is, um, among other things, heads up the art department at heads up the art department at Dillard, um, but is an artist and has been for a long time. All of these guys have been working for quite a while. Um, I would say that the way you have addressed invisibility is more sociologically. Why don't you tell me about? I don't need, I'm not trying to constrain you all to strictly talk about invisibility, but that was a connecting link that made me think about pulling you all together at one time. But So take off from there. I think that's a good characterization, you know, to, uh, you know, link it to sociology and the psychology of human interactions. Uh, oftentimes my work deals with the interactions of the black southerner in this space of Western society, primarily in the Delta region. So uh, a way that I address invisibility is more along the lines of these, a lot of, the, a lot of my people are viewed as a uniform sheet of paper, uniform, meaning uh, you, you cast suspicions about uh, their activities, you know, and, uh, and, and, and this isn't. This is. This is kind of based more on uh, the the last four years of intense uh, social media and media based uh, depictions of various examples of uh, police violence against different types of blacks, males, females, adults, children, and um, so what is invisible is the content of the character of the individuals. Once uh, you have a broad brush painted across a community, uh, the, the nuances of that community get lost. So that tends to be the starting point for my work. So right now I'm involved in two local exhibits. One is at Barrister's Art Gallery, and it's showing work from a, a 2009 body of work I called Eschatology, you know, which is a, you know, somewhat of a... Uh, speaking about the end of things, and it, it was dealing with, uh, you know, the post-Katrina realities and uh, how the uh, the older culture of the city was, uh, in many ways, interrupted and altered and shifted in another direction. And so I, I worked with the boat form in the form of a exposed prow of like a sinking canoe because I saw that 
history, that rich history, that rich culture vanishing, you know, and, uh, but it didn't completely vanish because it's still, the tip of it is still poking out of the water. And uh, I work in a range of media, so uh, the show, I'm also in a show at Stella Jones Gallery. It's a, uh, a uh, tricentennial show, and that actually has my newest uh, creation. It's entitled uh, Slave Quarters uh, Locker Room. Yeah, and, and that piece deals with the uh, NFL uh, protests, and it deals with the dynamics of power in relation to the players and the team owners. So uh, I put the locker room for the NFL players inside of a slave cabin, and uh, you know I worded it, built into the abstraction of the piece, the word slave quarters, and uh, I like to play with text with my work. I like to involve uh, little blocks, toy blocks, like from Disney, you know, uh, to have alphabets and letters on it, and sort of put some very, very harsh cryptic message, but, but it, it sort of comes across it less aggressively and more neutrally because it has a playful nature to it. So, uh, you know, I, I like to deal with that. So in that locker room, if you look inside of the contents of it, there's no people in it, but it, it shows the evidence that there is a locker room, there are spaces to put things, and there's a big mirror. But I like to create scenes that don't have people in it, you know, uh, as, as, you know because uh, most of my work looks like dwellings, but I, I want the viewer to place themselves inside of the dwelling, inside of that space. So inside that invisibility is also an opportunity to invite a viewer to complete the piece with their own experiences and their own point of view. So I think by now uh, my audience has got the impression that we have some heavy thinkers in this group. Um, and I'm, I'm fascinated about your um, pointing out that you deal with text, and both of these guys deal with text in their work also. I don't know whether that's becoming a, a common phenomenon in art um, or it just happens to be that the three of you are doing that. But Tannen, you've always worked with text a lot in your work too. In fact, you you write constantly, even um, when you're not making work. I'm thinking about something that was said earlier, and that is that uh, to make sound visual and visible, the human voice is a musical instrument, but it's also a conveyor of language of a different sort, not just the language of music, but the language of intercourse between uh, like like animals, uh, humans and others. So there's something, there's something for me that's important about what you said in that uh, there's a connection in my head between what you described and the human voice as a means of being both uh, sound and music as well as other levels of communication. And I think it goes back also to what John talked about. Um, so I think there's, I don't, I, I don't want to presume this commonality among us three, but there's certain, certain connections that are clear to me in, in the work that you all are doing. So why do you use uh, text as much as you do in your work, though? Well, probably one of the best things I ever did was a, I took, I took the four uh, letter words 
one letter, two letter, three letter, four letter words in English. If you take all permutations of one, two, three, and four letter words in English, you get about 456,000 permutations. So the, the English language has a lot more potential than we use it as. It could convey ideas and words and uh, symbols and signs. We only, if you, if you consider that the the English alphabet has 456,000 permutations or possibilities, we're only working with a very small fraction of those in terms of the words that we use. I feel the same way about our understanding of nature, that our understanding of nature is such a small fragment of what's there. And um, what about, about you and your hand? Why, why is text an important part of um, your work? Uh, I'll give one example. Uh, I have uh, many examples, but I'll give one. Um, it goes kind of back to the uh, oratory tradition of language and music. Um, I guess this touches upon many cultures where people would sing to each other mm-hmm. or sing to the trees or pass knowledge along through either through poetry or through talking or through singing. And um, again, many cultures. And I ask myself, like, who or at what point does somebody say we're going to write this down or through, like, a cuneiform or um, put something onto a scroll or a, a stone? And why was that important? And uh, maybe there's a part of me that fears uh, that that scripture, or not in the in the biblical sense, but but script will be lost, and the the nature of writing, uh, and the and the fact that that uh, there's this kind of um, relationship between the hand and the mind in script that uh, has a kind of power. That the that the that technology can't provide, and uh, the fact that you can write and uh, erase and write over and write over and write over again, and that that has another type of fundamental power that spans multiple cultures without being direct with, with multiple subtleties uh, is fascinating to me. So um, I just I, I just find that kind of an area of interest. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and John, what about you? And, and, and before you um, turn it back around, uh, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, this is only my second time doing live. This is only my second time doing. This is only my second time doing live. Um, um, Facebook, so forgive me, folks, for being technologically um, challenged. We'll get it down. Um, uh, I want you to also address the question of why text is so important to you. But um, then my na- my last question for all of you, because believe it or not, time flies and um, we're coming uh, close. But um, I want you to talk also about um, how your work is developing, where it's going next, and also tell people how they can find you online and learn more about you. Absolutely. Uh, well, I've, I've uh, used text as imagery in my work for about 17 years. Mm. And... and um, in part, I'm, I'm very interested in the message not being misinterpreted or lost in the artistry, you know, uh, because I think ultimately messages get watered down through time 
And, you know, ideally I'd like the work to continue living on and move way beyond me and exist without me. And I'm kind of, a, I guess, a visual bully. You know, <laughs> I don't want you to take my my my, my ideas and just sort of uh, repackage them, even though you're going to do that anyway. But, you know, I, I kind of want to feel like I have a little bit of influence over what you walk away with after you experience the work. Uh, but Texas imagery is it's always been a beautiful uh, way to combine thought. And it, it, the images and the text that I use don't always add up or make sense, you know, but the ones that are very specific are very specific to the, the meaning and the interpretive power of what I want the viewer to walk away from. But uh, in terms of future efforts, I'm preparing a solo exhibit that I'm going to show ideally at Dillard uh, after Martin Luther King's birthday all the way until the end of the month of March. And uh, that showed... I'm playing with the title, but right now I'm thinking I'm going to call it Follow the Leader. Are we talking about next March? Yeah, next March. Okay. Yeah, yeah next yeah, year. Yeah, pe- people don't know how much uh, in the future artists sometimes have to work in terms of getting the space to show their work, right, which is one right. of the challenges we have in New Orleans of being able to find the space, the money, the audience, and so forth to support what we do. Go but, ahead. But we're talking, uh, yeah, 2019 is going to be a very, very beautiful presentation, and uh, we have three gallery spaces within the space at Dillard, and each one is going to satisfy a different aspect of that principle that I'm going to be presenting. And uh, um, uh, if you're interested in, you know, staying up to date with my efforts, you can check me out online at www.johnbarnesart.com, and definitely, you know, hit me up. There's links for contacting me, and, you know, I'm very easy to catch, and uh, I'm very interested in, in doing a a wide range of projects that uh, sort of, you know, sort of shifts what people are used to seeing from me. You know, I do lots of different stuff. And, and tell them again about the show at Barristers and, and how to find that and so forth. Because Great. So right now, as I mentioned before, there are two exhibits that I'm a part of. Uh, one is at Barristers Art Gallery. Uh, which is what's what's the address of Barristers? Oh yeah, like I really know exactly. Hey, it's on Saint Claude it's on Avenue. Saint Claude. Barristers, right, right. and it's a great group show, and uh, I'm in it. Bob is in it. Uh, it was uh, curated by Serge Longcar, and uh, it's a great show. It's a fabulous show. It's a it great really show. is an interesting show. And uh, we're dealing with the subject of boats in that particular show, so we have a lot of great work that interprets, uh, you know, that ideal. And also uh, at, Stel- at the Stella Jones Gallery, the uh, New Orleans Tricentennial exhibit that has the slave quarters slash uh, locker room piece, that show goes down actually in a few days. So you need to get over to see that one. That's on St. Charles Street, 201 St. Charles, as well as the show of Barristers located uh, in the, in the uh, St. Claude Arts District. And um, I'm also a member of the uh, Antenna Art Collective, so... Uh, you know, we're going to be putting together some pretty interesting programming moving into 2019 as well. I'd like to suggest that the three of us do a collaboration of some kind. Uh, if you if you take the conversation we've had now, there are certain there are certain intersections in in what we do that connect us, uh, perhaps more than many others in this community. Um, so I'm proposing we do some kind of collaboration utilizing the visions and the, the ideas of, of each rather than superimposing it upon one. Um, and where and how we do that is another thing. But um, 
Gene has an exhibit of Walter Anderson's sketches in pencil that she's going to be showing out at the crevasse, and she'll talk about that. But Walter Anderson is another one of these artists who goes beyond the obvious, dealing with nature in a very sensitive way. And, yeah, we have a really exciting show coming up. We're going to have a little preview of it shortly with a selection of the work. But then later in the fall we're going to have a – these are drawings that he did literally in situ out on the beach at Horn Island. And they're working drawings that kind of are the base of the work that becomes watercolors later. And he suggests how they should be used and so forth. So they're kind of like working drawings. It's the artist at work visualized on these pieces. So I'm kind of excited about it. But for those of you who don't know, it's the Crevasse 22 Riverhouse. We're going to talk a little bit more about that facility at the end of the show when we have some callers on who are going to talk about their work too. But, Tanner, you didn't answer the question of what you're doing next. Well, I was talking about the reasons. The collaboration. Okay. Yeah. And um, and your website? Uh, <laughs> it's still in process. I hope it's being completed. <laughs> it's uh, robertctannon.com. Uh, All right. C as in Carrie, robertctannon.com. And Nirhan, what's uh, next for you? Uh, I'm so, going to get good at this, I promise. So, um, <laughs> so the work's up at the Myrtle Banks building. Uh, you can see it now third floor. And, and with Kim Rice's work, and, and, and she does this incredible thing with um, representing the red-lined neighborhoods of the city in, in the framed by the Mississippi River. It's very interesting, John. You have to get up and see it. it and uh, and Nirhan's work is, is a, a very ephemeral, but um, really tempting and, and pulls you in. And then uh, I'll be at Jazz Fest, second weekend, Contemporary Crafts. And then I'm having a show I'm working on a show for The Front, and I'll be there in October, and I'm working on that now. Thank God for St. Claude Avenue, huh, guys? <laughs> it's Thank just goodness. amazing that uh, we're, we're getting uh, so much more exposure of the work of our really interesting artists in town through um, all the galleries on uh, St. Claude Avenue. I wish we could go on forever, but I've got other things um, I want to get on this show. I'm going to have you all back. And we'll uh, we'll pick up the thread and, uh, and and see where we go next. Any closing words? Uh, closing words. Uh, yeah, I think it'd be a great idea to collaborate. I'm open to collaborations with uh, you know artists working in different ways. Uh, I, I just only 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 request that I have we work together so we you know we go huge. You know, so go make big. something monstrously. Go big or go home. All right. Well, we just lost uh, power on my phone, so we're not on the uh, live Facebook anymore. I'm sorry for those guys of you who might have been watching that. Uh, but you got you got a good part of it. Thank you and, very um, much. Maybe, maybe um, do you have a phone with you that, that has great, Facebook man. on it? Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that was no, come sit down. Okay. Uh, so uh, the second part of our show is – um, Gene, thank you so thank much. Thank you, guys. Look forward to seeing it's you really soon. It's really nice meeting you. It's such a pleasure. I have in studio next up Journey Allen, who is also an artist. 
Everybody is saying their goodbyes. Okay, everybody out of the studio, thank you. (laughs) All right, except for Journey. Journey Allen is an artist and a teacher, um, and she's involved with what she calls the art of community. And she has that amazing space on, on Broad Street that you all pass all the time, and it says on it, Artist Journey Allen. And then it's surrounded. I can't read the rest of it on here, but you can tell me what's on their journey. And um, it's surrounded with a kind of plaid design of bright colors. And I said, wow, what is that all about? <laughs> and here she is, and she's going to tell me. Um, okay, Journey, what, what's, what's, your, what's your, your place on Broad Street, just around the corner from Bayou Road? What's yes. it all about? All right, peace, everybody. Um, it's a, a gallery studio, I call it. I call it a gallery studio. I have artwork for sale, but the primary source of income for the space, I host paint parties, uh, private paint parties. I just started public sessions uh, recently, but um, people like to book parties uh, for their anniversaries, different occasions, birthday parties, and they come in, they bring their beverages and food, and I lead them in a painting activity, and they just have a good time. So it's more of a social setting. That's, um, you know, uh, most galleries in a way, at least once a month when they open, are social settings. People come in and they they have to uh, uh, split their attention between the art on the walls and, <laughs> and the people in the room. Um, so it happens. But um, that's that's your purpose. Yes, at least, at least for that part. Um, the space has been used for different uh, community events. I've had a couple of showings of other artists' artwork. But like I say, I focus on paint parties uh, as a source of revenue. But within the space, um, coming up soon, the Art of Community is a youth program that I'm piloting for uh, youth ages 11 to 16. And we'll be exploring New Orleans, uh, but from the perspective of the Seven Ward and Treme community and the small businesses and the impact that they have on those communities. So it's a number of things that we'll be doing. So that space will house uh, that program during the day from May 21st to June 15th. So um, where did you get the idea to do this? Why are you doing it? And how are you making it work? Because as we all know, the arts don't get a lot of support yeah. <laughs> from, from the outside world. And so uh, how, how do you make this work? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge of uh, finding balance between everything because I do have the studio space. Uh, people are like, are you open? Are you there? I'm like, yeah, I'm there usually uh, Thursday evenings, Friday evenings, Saturday and Sundays because I teach during the day at Inspire 42 in the 7th Ward. And then I'm uh, developing this program that will run. So um I'm really passionate about working with young people and inspiring them um, beyond the four walls of the traditional school setting. So I'm getting the opportunity to do that here. I applied for the Platforms um, Fund grant, and I was able to receive that, which gave me that push that I needed to support at least uh, 20 young people in participating in this program. And the program is free. I, I did request that they pay a $65 application fee just to help with certain needs because I have 20 kids. I'm feeding them. We're going places. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not really enough. So just uh, figuring out fundraising and things like that to keep it going, but I just absolutely love working with young people. Are you from New Orleans? Born and raised. And what part of the city? Uh, Well, I grew up in the Third Ward, um, around Warren Easton, not too far from there. Mm -hmm. Um, Then 
I actually lived on Bayou Road for some time. My family, my mom, dad, brother, and I, we lived uh, above the the barbershop on Bayou Road from middle school to high school. The barbershop, so it was on Bayou Road, like between... Um, where the uh, community book center is. Right. I was going to say between yeah. Broad and uh, Russia Wave. Yeah. No, so as a Georgia kid, my, my window yeah. overlooked Bayou Road, you know, so it was it wow. was pretty cool, like, living there. And then yeah. to be back in that community, that's why, it, I mean, it really meant a lot to me to have my business uh, in that in space. In that vicinity. Yes. Right. Uh, Jazz, you need to tell those guys they need to keep it down out there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether you can hear them on the air, but I can hear them. Yeah. Um, so, um Tell me about your your beginnings and 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 uh, what kind of um, work you do. You're an artist also, yes. and 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 how that evolved into the idea of doing this um, gallery and community center. Is that a fair description of? You can call it yeah, you can call it that and call it what you like. But um, it's just a man. It's kind of complicated because I actually wasn't an artist when I departed from here. I moved um, as a result of Katrina. I was evacuating and ended up in Houston and got connected with an arts organization there um, while I was attending Texas Southern University. And that organization is Project Row Houses. Oh, I and know about that project. Yes, it's, I was a, sure it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, like about seventy nine like uh, homes. There's different things that go on. Art spaces. Uh, galleries, young mothers programs, um, parks, just a lot of things. Uh, Rick Lowe uh, is the founding artist of that. And I engaged there and I learned about community. Like I I didn't think of the word community as much coming up, but my first lesson on community was from my mother who cooked and a bunch of kids came in and ate. We played board games and watched Nickelodeon because no one else had Nickelodeon but us. So we're piled up in the front room watching Nickelodeon or whatever, playing Monopoly and Sorry. But um, I learned about community there. I developed into an artist there um, at Project Roar Houses in uh, Texas Southern University where I graduated. And then I uh, started a team program in in Houston at Project Row Houses, working with their young people, and eventually moved back home as a result of, you know, just making decisions, missing my family and different things going on in life. And now being back in New Orleans, I want to make the same impact um, and be surrounded with youth in the way that I was when I was in Houston, able to just, like, touch their lives and um, mm-hmm. involve them in creative opportunities. So interesting because, you know, I, I'm, I'm so um, mystified about... Um, what happened to folks when they left here and what they experienced in, in other uh, places in evacuation. We, we have, of course, evacuated, too. We live in Treme, mm-hmm. and um, uh, we wound up in the Baton Rouge area because I had to work, continue working, and I just happened to have work associated up there. But um, I still am trying to figure out to this day who left, who stayed away who came back yeah well i just and came why? back about five years ago um this would be my fifth year of being back home people keep asking me are you from here you from here you know so um i am from here um but it wasn't an easy decision to leave or to return you know you have all these things hanging in the balance and returning when i returned it was like i made myself a life in houston as journey and I returned here to New Orleans as journey but I was more familiar with Houston because I developed my artist self there so coming here um, redeveloping uh, connections with people realizing that connections wouldn't be rekindled you know it's a lot of things that go into moving back home after so long because I was gone 
uh, like eight and a half, nine years. I know. You know, um, I'm not originally from here. I'm from New York. And um, I came here uh, in the 70s when I was about 30 and uh, lived here ever since. But I went back to work in New York in the 90s. And it was really weird going back (laughs) because things were both familiar and unfamiliar. Things were both welcoming and not welcoming. (laughs) And um, frankly, before it was all over, my tenure up there, um, I had realized that it was no longer home, that New Orleans was home. Now, New Orleans... I, I, I often say I think that the slogan for New Orleans ought to be that it's everybody's second hometown because yeah. it's a hometown. And everybody who comes here and loves it says the same thing about it, how they feel at home here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but a lot of people did not come back, right? Yeah. Tell me about, the, tell me about, you, you must have known New Orleanians that were in Houston, right, that still are? Uh, I have some family members uh, that are still in Houston. I mean, people have made lives for themselves, um, whether they, you know, I wouldn't say if they enjoy it or not, you know, but they've gotten in the groove. They have a routine, and they're fine with the way that things are going. I don't know about the longing to return, but my longing wasn't always there. I began to think that Houston would become my home, but at some point um, I felt the need to come back, you know, and coming back wasn't easy, but I give thanks that I'm, I'm back now. It is a challenge, though, isn't it, New Orleans, especially as an artist? Uh, yeah, if that's, like, you know, the number one thing that you're focusing on. Because, like, I I also live at the Bell Art Space um, that just recently developed oh, at the Old Bell School. Oh, you moved into Bell? Yeah, so I was Wow, I was there for the opening. There. Yeah. What extraordinary yeah. spaces. So I have, like, I'm at Bell Art Space, and about ten blocks from there is my studio, and about five or six blocks from the studio is my school that I work at. So I've been blessed with, like, this uh, little triangle. You know, try it. I can travel through. Um, so You can almost walk to and from everywhere. I, I really can. You know, so the universe has been kind to me. I give thanks. Um, for the opportunities I've been presented with. And it's important um, for me to give back because when I opened the studio, I really just loved the space. I loved where it was, and I felt that it was where I was supposed to be, but I didn't really say, oh, I'm going to have me a gallery. That wasn't my goal. You know, that's what it developed into. But I was saying, oh, I'm just going to have paint parties. I'm like, that's enough. People have paint parties. I can do that. But Spirit said, that's not all you're destined to do. You know, so I had to pick up the mantle and just like run with run with the flame and pick back up with the kids and get involved in things in that way. So let's invite the people who are listening to the show into your space. What how, you, you, you express how you want to invite them. Um, I'm not sure what you're asking. So imagine that you're talking to somebody mm-hmm. in the neighborhood who has passed by your, your place the way mm-hmm. I have and you want them to come in and um, enjoy your space in some way, how would you invite them? Oh Well, it, it really depends on what's going on. If you're coming for a, a paint party, you know, I would just show you around. You would have uh, artwork on the walls created by myself, um, images of different things that we've painted that we can uh, learn from. And that's basically it. I can show you how, you know, I've transformed the place because my sons and I, painted both the inside and the outside one son more than the other i'm not gonna call any names but um we painted the inside and the outside of the building i have a um, large mural of basquiat that i painted um, because i love the freedom of 
what he represented as an artist, you know. So I have that in there. I just have to stop you for a second. And, um, oh gosh, I hope I can um, call his name. But there's a young artist in New Orleans whose work is not unlike um, Basquiat. Um, I, you keep talking, and I'm going to remember his name. Okay. Because he's somebody that you should invite to. Oh, my phone is dead, so I can't. <laughs> I'm not yeah, gonna be died. To, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid so. Um, but uh, 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 um, but the Alan LaForte. Alan LaForte. Check him out. I'm terrible I'm gonna, with names. I'm going yeah. to try to figure out how to connect you. His work is Basquiat-like. Mm-hmm. He's a graduate of John Mack. Okay. I'm not sure where he is right now. When he graduated, I was hoping he was going to go to Delgado. I don't know whether he did that or not. But he he makes extraordinary paintings, and I would love to see you connect with him. Continue with your invitation. So <laughs> people can come to the paint parties. How would they know about when they are? Uh, they go online. You can book online. Um, if you want to have a private event, I suggest that you give me a call so we can set up the details and I can prepare a link for you. Um, because the private parties also in turn help with the endeavor with the youth because while I did get the grant, I am funding the program myself essentially. So when you uh, come to a paint party, you're contributing to the program. And um, so paint parties, see shows, you're inviting children to come in. Yeah, I have youth uh, youth segments that. But I you do. you organize the youth. You can't just walk in off the street. Yeah, no. If you want to be a part of the program, I only have 20 slots, uh, and five are um, taken. I just started giving the applications out. You can email me at a j a gallery at gmail dot com to get an invert, uh, to get an uh, application for the program. I want everybody to pay attention to this young woman because I have a feeling that she's going to be part of our art scene for some time. And um, I'm thrilled that you have put your space right in my neighborhood, right there on Broad and Bayou. Our neighborhood. Um, Yes, (laughs) our neighborhood, exactly. And um, it's called Artist Journey Ellen a New Orleans local artist's gallery and painting studio, cultivating community, one brush brush stroke at a time. Yes. Thank you so much for coming in, and I want you to stay in touch and let me know when you have something coming up, um, and we'll either get it into the newsletter or you can come talk about it on the show the next time. Any closing thoughts? Uh, you can look at my website, check it out at www.artistjourneyallen.com. Okay, so I'm going to release you, uh, and you can you join those collaborating artists out there. All those guys are still here. They are cooking something up, and maybe you, you should go introduce yourself to the group and, and get involved. Um, so Thank Jess, you. Do we have a, a caller? Okay, uh, let me uh, pick up. Hello? Eric, I'm so sorry to have kept you waiting for a minute, but um, I had a young lady in tow that uh, had a lot to say. Um, Eric Johnson is on the line with us now, and Eric is a conservation king. He is really important. He's part of the Audubon Society. 
And he has a special passion for birds, as many of us do, including me, even though I've never been on a birding trail before. But, but Eric has, and he is going to be guiding a tour this Saturday at Crevasse 22 Riverhouse. Now, you all have heard me talk about Crevasse 22 Riverhouse. It is in St. Bernard Parish in Poitras right next to the river on a street called Sarrow Lane, and it has a big woods behind it and a, a lake. So it has both shorebirds and birds that are in the woods. And um, I, I was astounded to hear Eric tell me that there are a lot of species of birds um, floating around. Um, that are flying around in the area, and it has to do with the migrating time of the year that we're in. Eric, tell me more. Yeah, hi, Gene. How are you? Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, this is a really special time of year in South Louisiana. Um, we have uh, literally millions of birds migrating back to their North American breeding grounds from Central and South America. And uh, places like St. Bernard and Poitras are some of the places they stop on that uh, on that big journey back north. Um, tell me about uh, the some of the species that you know are going to be flying through there that we might actually see this weekend. Your tour is on Saturday at 11. Um, and so um, what do you expect to see there? And can you explain to me how you actually find these birds? Because... When I'm out in the woods, I can hear them on occasion, but I have a really hard time seeing them. Yeah, it definitely takes a little bit of practice and, and getting used to. You have to train your eyes. What I do is I look for the movement, right? So you see little flits of small birds moving in the leaves in the in the trees around you, and then you know with your binoculars you can zoom in on them. Um, yeah, so there's you know. Dozens and dozens of species migrating through right now, and so you know we can expect things like uh, summer tanagers, indigo buntings, maybe rose-breasted grosbeak. There's a couple of dozen species of warblers, several species of thrushes and vireos. Some of the most colorful and beautiful birds in the world um, can be seen at this time of year in South Louisiana. Um, one of the birds that's really exciting for people to see is called a painted bunting. Um, it's got every color of the rainbow on it. And uh, they're coming through Louisiana right now, too. So, you know, there's an off chance we might even see one of those. Well, you know, I was talking to somebody on the phone in Biloxi, Mississippi, last weekend. or Actually, it was the middle of last week. And um, while I was on the phone with this woman, she said, Oh, here come the painted buntings. And apparently there was a flock of them. Uh, coming through just as I was um, talking to her. So I was, like, amazed. First of all, I had no idea that we get that kind of exotic bird through here. I've never seen them. I see certain kinds of uh, birds that I, I find in um, uh, my yard, and, and I know that there are some unusual species out there that I can hear, but I can't seem to quite catch a view of them. Um, so uh, I... Really? So why don't I see them inside the city, and where do you see them? Well, the best places to find some of these birds are where there's uh, suitable habitat. So a lot of these kinds of birds, they need um, native plants, they need native trees, native shrubs, things that provide caterpillars and fruits and berries um, that these birds need to fuel their migrations. So, you know, it's really important to place, you know, for places like City Park, 
in the Couturier Forest that has a lot of uh, regenerating um, plants through the restoration efforts there. Those are the kind of places that are really, really good for a wide variety of birds. Um, but even, you know, in our little, I mean, I have just a small little backyard in my place in Lafayette, and I've documented over 150 species of birds. 150 and of is, <laughs> species of birds. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, it's just a matter of planting the right plants. Um, you know, and, and keeping your eyes open and, and, and that sort of thing. And so, you know, anybody can do it. It's really easy. Um, putting some feeders out can help. Uh, if you put out sunflower seeds or millets or put out a hummingbird feeder, um, you can attract all kinds of different birds. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, this is, and this is just such a great time, too. You know, this end of April is the peak of bird migration. Um, in the spring, so this is really just a fun time of year to get out and go birding. Uh, why, why are you why are you so interested in birds, and 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 why should the rest of us be interested in them? Well, I've I've always had the bird bug ever since I was a little kid, but you know, as I've as I've grown up and studied birds, I've I've come to realize that they're actually a really important indicator of the health of our environment. So they tell us how things are going, right? They're they're um, there's when they when their populations are declining, we know that something is wrong, um, and we can address those issues uh, through restoration and conservation. Um, and there's been a lot of really important success stories, like the recovery of the bald eagle and the recovery of the brown pelican, um, through intensive conservation efforts. You know, um, but sa- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, but sa- you know, sadly, there still are a lot of species that are declining. Um, things like the painted bunting have been experiencing a long-term decline. One of my favorite birds, the prothonotary warbler, is a bird of our bottomland hardwood forests, and over 50% of their population has declined in the last 50 years. Oh, so why? Why? It's loss of habitat, not only here where they where they raise their young, but also when they go south, you know, in Central and South America. So these, especially the migratory species, they need all of these different little places um, along their migration route to stop and to fuel, um, and when those places disappear um, and get converted into sort of human, you know, type habitats, they're they're um, they're prone to to not support those birds. So but that's so, why planting native plants are so important. I was gonna, just going to say, so so there's there's no uh, chance that some of them, and maybe this is is happening, instead of migrating to places that are not um, uh, conducive to their life anymore, um, why wouldn't they just stay in a place that is okay for them? Well, they don't really know any better, right? They're, they're programmed through, you know, literally millions of years of evolution to do these migrations. And, you know, they don't necessarily know as individual birds making decisions what the habitat is going to be like when they get there. Um, they just know that they're supposed to migrate. And, you know, so they, they don't have that sort of same rationale that we can, you know, that we have in order to make those decisions. They go when it's time to go. So, but really, uh, somewhere down the line, evolutionarily, that they figured out that it was important for them to migrate. So why can't they, in, in that same process, kind of, back it up and go the other way and, and decide to stay in a place rather. Well, take, for example, these Canadian geese that we see all over the place. They've certainly changed their patterns, right? Yeah, well, and, and Canada geese are one of those species that are actually really good at adapting to human landscapes. 
um, you know, they're actually kind of an exception in the bird world. Um, most species don't have that ability to do that. Eric. So it'll, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, finish your sentence <laughs> and I'm going to ask you. Go, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Well, I, I wanted to ask you about these um, night herons that are uh, roosting on Esplanade Avenue um, uh, on my block. They are roosting near John Mack High School, for those of, of, of you in New Orleans. And, um, I mean, I watch people <laughs> come down the street all the time, either on a bike or in a car or walking, and, and they, they'll hear them. They make all these noises, and they, and they stop and, and look and listen. They have obviously this, – this happened since Katrina. So they, they have made some kind of a big change in their decision about where to live. Um, and I don't understand. Did they lose their habitat after the storm, or, or what happened? Why are they Why are they on Esplanade? Because goodness knows they lose a lot of their babies to you know those speeding demons who just love to speed down Esplanade. All you bad bad people. Yeah, yeah, I know it's not a great place for them to nest. A lot of you know when there's that much traffic around. But I think you're exactly right. You know when Katrina came through. Um, it was obviously devastating for for all of us, but also for birds. You know, a lot of that habitat um, that they depended on was converted to open water. Um, you know, a lot of land loss, a lot of trees were knocked down. You know, those nesting areas that night herons may have used outside of the city may not have been available anymore. And so they found kind of the next best alternative, which may not actually be a smart decision in the long run, but... Um, yeah, so, you know, obviously, you know, storms and and the broader concern is that, you know, with coastal Louisiana experiencing this land loss crisis, um, the impacts that that can have for all kinds of different birds, from herons to things that depend on the marsh to the birds of the coast, um, you know, we're, we're fighting an uphill battle right now. And um, a lot of the work that I do right now is, is focused on coastal restoration efforts. Um, for the benefit of humans, but also for the benefit of birds. There's a whole lot of us that are involved in that, and that is one of the underlying uh, reasons that we do what we do at, at uh, Crevasse 22 Riverhouse. Uh, Crevasse 22 Riverhouse, y'all, is on um, uh, 80, uh, 122 Saro Lane in Portis, Louisiana. Um, Eric Johnson, our conservationist, who is... Um, going to be leading a tour at 11 o'clock on Saturday. We'll be open Friday and Saturday in conjunction with the St. Bernard Birding Festival that's taking place at um, the Los Islenos Center on Bayou Road, not not far from where we are. Listen, y'all, it's only 25 minutes from the city. It is beautiful down there and Eric is an expert and and he is being so sweet and generous to us in offering to do the tour. Eric, I'm going to see you Saturday because I'm going to be there and I'm going to go on my virginal birding trail walk and I'm really excited about it. Thank you so much for for doing that for us and everybody, I'll see you out there Saturday, Cross 22 River House. This is Gene Nathan, this is Crosstown Conversation, and we'll talk next week.